This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is James Benina of Snow Software, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 532. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Eric Ostrowski, CFO of Avro Bio, clinical stage company specializing in gene therapies. Having enjoyed success for more than 10 years inside the investment banking realm, Eric Ostrowski gets an operations itch. He discovered there was nothing he enjoyed more than digging in to a company's operations, helping them understand some of the challenges they were confronting. It wasn't long before he started thinking about a new career chap, this time as a CFO. Our discussion begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. interested in learning about AvroBio today and its offerings, but uh, as always, we begin by asking our guests to look back for us and telling us a little bit about how the leader came to be. Tell us about those experiences which you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role. Yeah, sure. So, my career started with an undergraduate degree in business from Bowson College. And uh, from there, I went to work for Cooper the Labyrinth, now uh, 
point, we were really looking to get more transactional experience. And so I moved into investment banking uh, at that point, where I helped technology and biotech companies raise capital and engage in strategic transactions. And so this includes being involved in many initial public offerings, uh, follow-on financings, and pilot company financings. And in this portion of my career, I learned about the various strategies and processes employed raise capital, and I think importantly, what investors look for. After about three years in investment banking, I went to business school at the University of Chicago, and the goal there was really to, to broaden out my business skill set. And so after I got my MBA, I returned to investment banking, where I spent uh, an additional eight years in banking, uh, including with a firm called Blair & Partners, which is a healthcare focused boutique. And as an advisor kind of throughout my career, um, I often found that I really enjoyed when I had the opportunity to dig into the day-to-day -day operations of clients and decided to transition into an operational role in biotech. And uh, I thought you know, the skill set I built up over the years would be super helpful, but you know, more importantly, I wanted to be closer to the cutting edge science in biotech and in helping patients. And so the first company I joined uh, was a cell therapy company called Organogenesis. And uh, there I was VP of Finance. My CEO there was Jeff McKay, who was actually my CEO at Abobio. And that first operational role was really a great eye-opener for me in terms of learning uh, just how much work it takes to successfully run a company, especially when as broad as organogenesis, where you have uh, multiple facets to manage, including R&D, manufacturing, all the way up to managing the direct sales force. And this role really taught me a lot as well about the power of building strong teams. Um, after about four years there, uh, I felt I developed the tools to be an effective CFO, and I went on to work for a UK-based biotech firm focused on rare diseases, and I helped take that company public on the NASDAQ and build up their U.S. presence, and then more recently now, reunited with Jeff at AvroBio uh, earlier this year. And I was drawn to AvroBio, I think, by a, a number of things, uh, namely the company's technology, its business strategy, and importantly, its people. And I saw that the cell therapy and rare disease experience that I accumulated over the years was really a perfect match for what AvroBio was doing. That's a, a, a great chapter for you, clearly, uh, being reunited with the CEO that you would work closely with, not as a CFO, but as a VP of finance, sort of a strength on your sleeve. You, had, you left there to become a CFO, and of course, uh, you rejoined him at Avro Bio. Um, and within that short amount of time uh, that you've been there, you've uh, had a significant uh, capital raise along the way. So this might be a good time to segue to AvroBio and allow you to tell us a little bit about this company, its offerings, what sets it apart. Tell us about it. Sure. So AvroBio is a gene therapy company focused on rare diseases. And for those listeners maybe not as close to the space, uh, gene therapy is a very exciting technology that seeks to deliver patients functional copies of the gene they lack in their particular disease a one-time treatment. And so at Avro, our initial focus is on a group of rare genetic diseases referred to as liposomal storage disorders, uh, some of which today are primarily managed with enzyme replacement therapies, uh, which is often referred to as a DRT. 
And then replacement therapy, while it's been a great advance for patients, it's, it has a number of disadvantages. Uh, for example, if we look at patients with Fabry disease, uh, which is how these disease targets, these patients, while on ERP, still have a below average life expectancy, and they continue to have disease progression, which can include ongoing decline in renal function, cardiovascular disease, and ongoing debilitating pain, uh, which can include periods of severe pain crisis. Uh, further, ERP treatment requires bi-weekly infusions, which are incredibly burdensome for the patient. And lastly, I'd point out, ERP is incredibly costly to the healthcare system. The lifetime cost of ERP for every patient has been estimated to be $14 million. And so the potential to have a one-time curative therapy for Fabry disease, we think offers a great benefit to patients in the healthcare system. And that's what we're working on at Collateral Bio. Another point of differentiation of the company I'd point out is our manufacturing approach, which has been a focus of the company really since day one. The ability to produce new therapies in a scalable and cost-effective manner um, has really been, I think, a challenge for gene therapy companies. And so our gene therapy platform, which we call Plato, allows us to produce drug products in a closed and automated system, which we refer to as a pod, which to help you visualize it is about the size of a dishwasher. And we can house these pods in clean rooms at CMO partners, which are contract manufacturing organizations across the world, which eliminates the need for us to invest in high-cost brick-and-mortar manufacturing facilities. Eric, I'm wondering if you can provide us maybe with a point of comparison as far as the uh, sort of the maturity of the companies you had been involved with before AvroBio. Yeah, so AvroBio is a development stage company. Uh, we have roughly 65 employees. And in terms of um, where that fits relative to other businesses uh, I work with, um, you know, not quite as big as Organogenesis, um, slightly bigger um, than some of Therapeutics where I had been prior. Um, so I think it was actually a, a pretty neat spot for me to be in um, at Avro, where um, given um, our prospects for growth, I felt that you know, I'd be well positioned uh, to kind of pull from my learnings in the past and help build the company uh, in an organized and strategic manner. So, and again, it was only earlier this year you joined, and so it's a great time to ask you that, that question, which is when you arrive. What, what are your priorities? As you just arrived, clearly you're trying to get the lay of the land, understand uh, more about the business itself. But, but tell us what, what are the types of priorities you put out for yourself? Yeah, so I think one of the, the biggest challenges, in my view, of being a CFO at an emerging biotech company is effectively splitting your time between the internal and external facing activities. And so. When I think about key internal activities, um, thinking about things like producing the financial statements, uh, managing the budget and forecasting, managing the team, and helping to build out the corporate culture. Um, I think the last part might sound a little unusual to some of your listeners, but because biotech is such a competitive industry and there's such tremendous competition to top talent, I think it's very important to build a strong and positive corporate culture from day one. And in my view, this isn't the job of just the head of HR. All members of the senior leadership team 
uh, need to stay tactical and, I think, nurturing um, and uh, moving forward uh, with corporate culture. Um, when I think about key external activities, it's things like meeting with investors, uh, Wall Street analysts, and speaking with investment bankers in order to stay on top of both biotech industry trends, but then more broad capital markets trends. And so when I join any company, uh, my focus is on building an effective and strong team, uh, addressing any areas that we can do better in, and making sure that I'm giving people the support they need in order to do their jobs as, as effectively as possible. And I think the better that I do in that respect, the more leverage I'm able to get in order to, to maximize the impact of my external facing activities. I want to ask you about the, the reporting function and if you sought to introduce new reports or variations of traditional reports, and maybe this is both external and internal, you know, um, but what would you tell us? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, as I talked about previously, you know, my internal kind of priorities when I joined, um, one of the, the first hires that I made out of the gate was a seasoned uh, financial reporting and analysis professional, um, often referred to as FCNA, who had many years of experience in biotech who could, you know, not only help us with the mechanics of you know, developing um, and managing our budget, uh, but somebody who was very adept strategically who could help us think about you know, the best ways to invest capital um, in order to uh, help develop gene therapies for patients and then in turn create value for shareholders. And so yeah, I think it's important to, um, to have both of those camps down. Again, not just the mechanical piece, but the ability to, to layer the strategic thought on top of it when you think about forecasting and planning for the organization over the long term. As you look at the growing the organization, I'm curious if you're paying attention to non-financial metrics as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's um, you know particularly relevant in in, in biotech. Um, you know, we're a pre-revenue company, um, unlike perhaps some of the other uh, companies that, that we interview. And so, um, I'm not looking at sales trends as an example. Um, I am looking at financial metrics like how our new projects are tracking business budget, you know, what the overall, overall cash burn is, um, how the headcount is tracking. But to your you know, main question around you know, non-financial metrics, um, one of the things that uh, I pay a lot of attention to is tracking our investor-related activities. Um, and so you know, getting back to you know, some of my external facing duties that I uh, referred to earlier, um, I pay a lot of attention around how many investor meetings we're having on a quarterly basis uh, and what geographies those meetings are occurring. Really to ensure that investors are educated on our technology and our R&D programs so that we're top of mind with, with them in the gene therapy space. Um, one of the reasons I think that's so important is that there are many great biotech companies in the sector and investors have limited time to spend researching them. And so the important part of my job is to make sure that we're actively getting out there and telling the other bio story to the investor community. Um, other information um, that, that I look at and monitor would be uh, corporate activities uh, of other companies across the, the gene therapy landscape, as well as regulatory and commercial payer development. Yeah, I, I like the way you uh, highlight the uh, investor relations, the communications channel there, 
how you, you develop an instinct, perhaps, when an investor is getting the story, understands and grasps the nuances of the, uh, the offerings. Uh, but can you reflect some more on, on investor relations for us in, in establishing that type of communication, which I think is an art as much as a science, perhaps? Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. I mean, you know, there are ways to, to monitor uh, who's holding your stock through SEC filings that are made. Um, but, you know, I think when you come right down to it, a lot of it is just old-fashioned blocking and tackling, um, where you need to be methodical in terms of how you're going to spend your time uh, from an IR perspective. Uh, and by that, I mean, what your geography is going to hit, um, how you ensure that you get maximum productivity out of the trip that you take, uh, making sure that you're uh, not only meeting with investors who currently hold the stock, but at the same time, while you, you continue those relationships, making sure that you're reaching uh, new investors who are not aware of the story. Um, and over time, as a company in the general statement, uh, developed, you will see that there are different types of investors who may be more likely to get involved in the stock over time. So it's, it's a very dynamic process that you just you know, need to uh, continually have a focus on. Well, we want to ask you about a finance strategic moment, and this is where during the course of your career, and I'm sure there have been many of them, but we'd like to just single out just one for us which is where your lines of sight into the organization allows you to see an opportunity or a risk or something that you felt needed to be responded to. Uh, and you pointed the team or the organization in a new direction, perhaps. Anything come to mind when I ask for a finance for people? Yeah, I mean, this one wasn't really an aha moment per se, but I think rather something that I've learned over the years by... Um, observing uh, transactions across a number of companies, you know, including as an advisor. Um, and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go back to, if I can, with the capital raising um, uh, example a little bit. You know, there's many things in business that you can control and many that you can't. Um, in terms of variables that you cannot control, uh, a good example might be, you know, how the economy is doing or how the capital markets are performing. Um, but in terms of things that you can help control, you know, these would be things like on the IR side, you know, making sure that you're presenting the company's business proposition in, in a clear and concise way, being ready to answer anticipated investor questions effectively, and having your team of bankers and lawyers to help you with the fundraising process ready. You know, these things that you can control um, by having those pieces in place when business development and capital market conditions align, you're ready to take advantage of the opportunity and get in a example, conduct a successful uh, fundraise. And so it was nice to, to see that play out recently uh, at Avro Bio. Uh, as you mentioned just a few weeks ago, uh, we were able to raise $138 million for the company on the heels of positive interim data from our Fabry gene therapy program. Again, I think it was the, the proper preparation along with the favorable market conditions that helped make that capital raise a great success for us. When we come back, 
CFO Eric Ostrowski enters the mentoring round. But first, we have a thought leader minute for you. Well, for many finance executives, it's that AFP time of year. And by that, I mean it's that time of year when many finance executives look forward to attending the annual conference for the Association of Financial Professionals. A conference is held next month in Boston. And we're pleased to catch up with AFP CEO and President Jim Cates here on the eve of yet another conference, or we're 30 days out, I suppose. One of the top-of-mind topics for this year's attendees, as well as uh, CFOs everywhere, is, of course, digital readiness. Uh, Jim, we're going to uh, chat with you a little today about that, but first, welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Jeff. Great to be here. So, Jim, there's, there's little question uh, digital readiness remains top-of-mind for finance leaders, but I think there's always this mistake that we make that we think of this as a trending topic, whereas this is just an enormous undertaking, and it, it, it presents challenges regularly to the uh, finance leaders uh, who are addressing uh, some of the problems or some of the issues. Am I right about that? that there are some real challenges here. The problem is, is that most operating models finance are really having difficulty kind of making this shift, and the critical currencies of digital analysis, information skills, is spread across multiple lines of business. And quite frankly, finance is still spending way more time reconciling data and interpreting it, and they're really not being strategic thinkers. So that kind of sets the stage for the questions that I think the CFOs need to be asking, and that is focusing on the areas where they really uh, can invest the technology and have the greatest impact. And just very quickly, it would be um, budget, the days to create a budget, uh, days to build a financial forecast and the days to do rolling forecast and things that can be uh, very much uh, part of a digital transformation in the finance organization. Jim, there is, of course, more we want to ask you about this topic. Will you stick with us? My pleasure, Jack. Okay, we'll be back with Jim Cates after today's featured CFO interview. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay, we're going to jump to the mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor uh, future finance leaders. What is it that's exciting you about finance and business today? Yeah, so what I really enjoy about being a CFO today, and I particularly in an emerging biotech company, is you know, the science is moving so quickly with such, you know, interesting um, developments across the landscape that are occurring. And I think, you know, as a CFO, you have the opportunity to be involved in all of this and really, you know, have an impact on all facets of, of the business. So, you know, 
especially in such a dynamic and involving speculation and therapy, it's really exciting to come to us every day. So, uh, we always like to uh, ask this question. Uh, it has to do with the first time you stepped in to the CFO office. That would have been at, uh, for you, I guess, at Summit uh, Therapeutics. You step in there. What is that piece of information? You have all the responsibilities of the finance chief. Finally, you're no longer a VP. You're you're it. You're the in the C-suite. What is that piece of information you wish someone had given you? Uh, that first week, that first month, that first six months, uh, you were a CEO. Yeah, no, a piece of advice I give um, you know, to an aspiring CFO is that it's never as easy as it may look. Um, you know, going back to my advising days, um, you know, I, I definitely didn't fully appreciate the day-to-day aspects of business and running a business. Um, you know, whether that's managing teams, uh, building a corporate culture, day-to-day uh, tasks that, that come up. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot to, uh, to get your, your arms around. And I think, you know, the, the last couple of things around culture and building teams, I think, are especially important. Um, it takes a lot of effort um, to do a good job at that. But I think it's how you all spend is uh, great things can really happen when you, when you assemble a team um, that not only collaborates well, but respects one another. You mentioned Babson, and we, of course, chatted recently even, uh, with a number of Babson graduates who always seem to have this entrepreneurial bend. I would imagine that's part of your makeup as well. Would you agree? Or yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, that entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, is always uh, you know, been a big part of uh, how I operate. You've been kind of like a straight line, too. I don't mean to abbreviate your career trajectory in any way, but it seems like um, you, uh, how far back do you think you began thinking about the CFO role as one that you would you would enjoy or find satisfying? Yeah, so, no, I think the, the, the CFO role, you know, wasn't necessarily something that, um, you know, I envisioned, you know, going back to, you know, pre-Babson days even. I mean, I guess what, what I always knew was that um, I wanted to be involved in business. And I always enjoyed being involved in uh, businesses that are earlier on in the life cycle. And so, you know, if you wanted to get all the way back to my investment banking days, you know, I had a choice that I want to work for, um, you know, one of the larger banks that worked with, you know, more established companies, or did I want to work to compete, you know, like uh, uh, Larry Swan or uh, Robertson Stevens, which was another bank um, that I worked at. And I always just pulled to those, um, you know, more emerging growth companies. Um, and then, you know, along the way, you know, again, as I kind of uh, figured out that, I thought I'd really enjoy you know, working hands-on in an operational setting. I think that's where the kind of the pieces, you know, fell in place where I had this great accounting background combined with uh, the banking um, piece that I thought really would set me up well uh, for a CFO role. Again, realizing that you know, there was still um, a lot to learn on the operational side of things. Uh, is there along the way did you have a certain personal habit or a daily routine that you believe has in some way contributed 
be a professional success. Yeah, I guess there's probably uh, a couple of habits um, I've developed over the years, um, including getting into the office early and uh, taking walks throughout the day. Um, you know, days can be very busy, and we often have back-to-back meetings, and so I found that some of the best planning and problem-solving for me happens when it's early and, and quiet in the office, um, or when I get out and I'm able to take a walk and uh, think through, through a challenge that I'm, I'm facing on that particular day. Um, so I, I'll say I do much less of the walking piece uh, when it's uh, cold, you know, <laughs> uh, snowy winter in Boston. Yeah, those couple of things that came to work well for me. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? So, you know, there's a book that uh, definitely made a strong impact on me early on, and um, it was the autobiography of Hall of Fame basketball player Larry Bird. Um, and in that book, he talks about things that help you become not only a great individual player, but more importantly, part of the championship team. So. You know, while this is obviously not a business-related book, um, there are many learnings that I took from uh, from his story that have applied to business, um, such as working hard, uh, never stop practicing, help make those around you better, and to, uh, to lead by example. Okay, we're up to our final question. This is where we get to ask you to, to look forward and tell us about the next 12 months and what will be your priorities. Yeah, so over the next 12 months, um, my priority is to continue to help effectively manage the growth uh, of the company um, as we continue to progress our activities, not only in uh, fabric disease, which is our lead program, but also in developing treatments for patients with Gauche, histidosis, and pumper disease. And we look to build out what we think Strowski, thank you for joining us on CFO Health Leaders. Okay, thank you, Jeff. Jim Cates, President and CEO of the Association of Financial Professionals. We've been talking about digital readiness. Jim, you've already outlined some of the pain points or challenges that finance organizations are facing today when it comes to digital readiness. I'm wondering if there's a, perhaps a report card that you might have for us, how you think these finance organizations are doing overall, or do you have some sense of the progress uh, that finance organizations are making along that, the transformation path. Sure. So let me just uh, back up a little bit and give just some perspective in terms of digital transformation. Um, a recent HBR article did a CEO survey, and digital transformation risk was their number one concern for 2019. But 70% of the initiatives in this survey said they won't achieve their goal. And that's really because of two reasons, of people skills and organizational paralysis. And as CFOs think about how, uh, what, what they should be asking about, I, I would say there are four things when you think about digitization and the impact and then having a realistic open finance function. 
First is automation and robotics to improve processes. Second would be digital visualization to give end users real-time financial information. Third would be advanced analytics for finance to accelerate decision support, and we can talk about that a little more. And then advanced analytics for business to uncover shareholder, excuse me, to uncover hidden shareholder value and growth opportunities. Because ultimately, the role of finance is to drive profitable growth in organizations. Now, earlier you emphasized how finance leaders who are having an impact in the uh, in the digital realm are really uh, perhaps focused on uh, the days to complete a budget, the days to complete a forecast, the days to complete a rolling forecast. Yeah, in fact, I was what I was taking is uh, that data or those topics are from an AFP FP&A benchmarking survey, and if you if these companies invest in technology, the the, the numbers are dramatic in terms of the time spent. So just to give you uh, uh, a uh, framework, we look at technology investment as percentage of budget, 10% and 49% and 50% plus. So a lot of this first question I think finance needs to ask themselves is how much of the budget are they actually going to dedicate to investing in the technology? And I know that they're hesitant to do that. However, the results can be dramatic. So for the for the someone who invests, say, 10% of their, their investment, technology investment is part of, the, part of their budget, days spent manipulating the budget, 384. If you spent 49% of your budget on technology, 62. So it's dramatic that just in terms of the time spent creating a budget. I speak to so many audiences when I say you're spending six to eight months of your time just creating a budget, no time to be acting as a strategic partner to the businesses, and everyone just shakes their head and says, that's exactly right. So this is, I think, the real challenge for finance. All right, but the reality is finance leaders realize they can't afford to do it all. They can't invest in all the areas that uh, would allow them to optimize for the digital realm. What? How should they prioritize? Or the CFOs, perhaps on a tight budget, who can't address all things, where do they begin? Well, you know, that's very hard for me to, to characterize or to just say that this is what every CFO should, should think about. But I think this, if you think about the time it takes to build a budget, the time it takes to build a financial forecast, and the days to complete a rolling forecast are certainly things that finance has to focus on. So the technology that I've talked about and the information that I, and the technology solutions, to the extent that those can reduce the amount of time their teams are spending, that's going to free up finance to be significantly more strategic. So, and the other thing that I think that um, finance has to think about, though, maybe most importantly, uh, and you might expect this from, it, from me, but do they have the right skills and talent on their team to even get to this next level? Do they have the right skills and talent on their team to leverage the technology and the uh, information that they can provide them. And that's where kind of the role of AFP is played, because I would say they don't have the right skills and the right talent development um, in their own organizations. First question I ask the CFO is, tell me about your finance talent program. How do you develop talent? And usually I get crickets. There's no formal plan in the CFO function to really 
really begin to tackle the skills development in order to actually leverage the technology. So the right people, you can have the best technology in the world, you're not going to take, you're not going to be able to take advantage of what that technology can do. Okay. It's, it's, uh, I thought you were going to touch on people. I know you, you mentioned it up front, how it's really management, managing people and, you know, finding the right people to add to their teams that could be uh, the biggest obstacle here, not, not necessarily technology expertise or people who are technology savvy. It has to be people open to change, open to adopting new approaches. Uh, yes, uh, I think it's also a combination of having the technical skills and then having kind of those right brain skills as well, which can be taught. Um, but those right brain skills are really critical. Uh, Daniel Pink, in, his, in a book he wrote called The Whole New Mind, he talks about the conceptual age, and the world's going to belong to those people who can be creators, who can recognize patterns and opportunities, those right brain skills. But if you think about finance, recognizing patterns looking for those opportunities are really going to be crucial. And then, can you have the ability to tell a story around the numbers? And I'm guessing most people in finance or accounting didn't have a course on storytelling. I would argue they need to have a course on storytelling so that they can demystify the numbers for the business units and be able to talk to them in a way that they really understand uh, how finance can really play a role in growing the, the business unit. These are skills that can be learned skills, but they also have to be skills where the CFO is going to decide, I'm going to develop the skills on my team to be able to leverage the technology and really drive the profitable growth of the company. And I have yet to see too many companies who have really sat down and come up with a comprehensive plan to do this. Let's touch on just developing people. It seems something uh, that, that you're perhaps passionate about, and AFP certainly is. Um, but what would you, uh, if, if a CFO, uh, again, you said you heard crickets very often when uh, CFOs are asked uh, what is their sort of their people development plan or strategy. Um, yep. What, where do, where do CFOs begin? Is there sort of a, some initial uh, steps that CFOs can put in place to head in that direction, even if they didn't want to, you know, take a big bite? Uh, if they wanted to just begin saying, we have to develop our people differently, where, where do they begin? Well, I think the first thing is to identify, which we talked about a little bit earlier, okay, what, what's the one or two areas I want to focus on, maybe in part of a, 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 a small part? You can't take on, especially if you're coming from a large, multi-billion dollar company, or even a hundred million dollar company. You, you can't say we're going to, you know, we're going to transform finance in a year. But I think you have to have a starting point. You have to pick uh, a couple of areas where you really think you can have uh, some significant impact and then begin to do an assessment of the, the skills development on their team. Uh, look, you know, if you're in sales and marketing, if you're in customer development, there, there's all sorts of tools to, do, to, to determine, do, do my employees really have the right skill sets? Um, AFP has those tools uh, for finance and corporate treasury really begin to do that analysis to say, does my team have the requisite skills to really leverage the technology and begin to transform the finance organization? We have two certifications, uh, one in treasury, one in corporate financial planning and analysis. 
And then we actually have uh, these tools where they can start to do that analysis. But you have to start someplace, and it's maybe not looking at your total finance team, but try to determine who are your high potentials. Do they really have the skills necessary to, um, to drive this finance transformation? And, and pick an area and do something small and be successful and, and move from there. But it takes a concerted effort. It takes a plan, and it just can't be a scattershot approach to skills development because that will end up spending money that will be just not well spent, let's put it that way. You have to have a plan over the long term to develop the team. And I really believe finance is lagging in this area. We've been asking you what, what CFOs should be asking themselves, and, and uh, I want to I ask you what career finance career builders should be asking themselves in regards to joining organizations um, that uh, may or may not be digital ready. I, I mean, should they be asking some questions to help them better understand the organization they're joining today? Because certainly they don't want to spend uh, a portion of their career in a, in a sort of a laggard organization. It's not going to prepare them much for the future. What would you share with us? Well, I think that um, certainly the younger millennial generation, uh, in every study that I've seen, I'm sure you've seen the same surveys, uh, they want to work for companies that are going to be helping them to develop their skill sets. And if th those organizations aren't helping them to grow and learn new skills, they're just not going to stay with the company very long. So uh, again, I'm sure all your listeners know that that's a very expensive way to to do business where your where your best and, uh, and brightest aren't going to stay and or they're not going to come there because if they ask okay so what are you going to do for me to upskill me uh, the answer is well we, we don't have any plans uh, and I don't think that's going to be very productive and I know that CEOs from uh, companies are really focused on uh, upskilling and talent development uh, what Amazon has dedicated hundreds of millions of dollars to continuous learning and I think that is going to be a, um, a concept that's going to stay with companies uh, as long as the, the pace of change continues. Uh, I think that companies that are going to be competitive and, 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 and uh, employees that want to work for these companies, that's going to be a critical question um, they're going to be asking. And there's a great quote um, that I love, which is, quote, education is what other people do to you. Learning is what you do to yourself. So I would, my advice to those people in finance and, and corporate treasury is what are you doing to make sure that you have the requisite skills to be competitive, uh, especially given the pace of change and the impact that technology is going to have on every one of us in the workplace. Jim, we're going we're gonna to have to leave it there, but uh, we look forward to attending AFP next month. Oh, well, look for me, and I'll be in the booth. Make sure to come and introduce yourself. I'll do that. I'm definitely going to do that. But thank you uh, for uh, joining us on CFO Thought Leader. My pleasure, Jack. It was great speaking with you. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season, 
Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.